0: Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we bring you our Computex 2014 coverage, including overclocking events. We talk about the MSI MOA qualifiers for the Americas. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast indeed, Mr. Darren. It's been, what, a month, two months, a year, something like that? <laughs> well,
1: it's been about a month, but we have had Some extras to keep folks occupied.
0: Yeah, we had one extra during Computex, which I recorded live, and admittedly, it's been on the site for a long time, and I'm kind of embarrassed of the sound.
1: Well, you know, you do what you can when you're in a crowded room full of crazy overclocking.
0: Yeah, and a not ideal sound booth. So what have we been up to? Well, I went to Computex in June. I was there for two weeks. That's going to be one of our topics in the podcast. Always jealous. Well, you need to go. I do need to go, but it's so far away. It's 12 hours on the plane. It's not that bad.
1: Mm, 12 hours on a plane is a long time, but that's what's got you occupied.
0: Sort of. I mean, I came back and we were going to do podcast recording, but I got sick. Yes, you did. Very sick. And then you went on vacation. I'm uh-huh. pretty sure you're allergic to Computex, so I had to get away. A <laughs> way to a vacation.
1: So yeah, I went to Denver. So nothing too fancy.
0: Now you get to drive a supercar, I believe. I
1: drove a McLaren MP4 12C Spider,
0: and probably went a little bit over the speed limit. I think
1: I am happy to say
0: that I
1: am pretty sure. Although you couldn't quote me on this, that I went four times the speed limit in that little white car.
0: Well, and I was on a back road, which, yeah. well, it's Denver, so I guess they know about it, right? So
1: credit where credit is due, if you get a chance to go to Denver, the company is Oxotic, like exotic with an O, and I would recommend them to anyone.
0: I'm going to have to go to Denver and get that then.
1: Most definitely. Well, we should go together, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Always
1: another supercar, but (laughs) that's not the only thing that kept me occupied Mm -hmm. because I came straight back from Denver and then I went
0: under the knife. Oh, that's right. You got surgery and you still are all bandaged up.
1: I had some surgery on my foot, so I'm hobbling around. Not the best for overclocking, but more importantly, it's kind of kept me away from the computer
0: for the last couple months. And we'll keep you off the paintball field for a while.
1: Unfortunately, yes. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I'm just getting old, my friend.
0: Well, I occupied my time while you were doing that, which, while the drugs sound interesting, (laughs) um, the fact that you get stitches in the bottom of your foot is not so much. But I was doing some overclocking. I hear that. Yeah, which will also be a subject in this podcast, which I believe we should probably transition to into our first subject.
1: It's been a while since we've had the podcast, as we've already talked about. But I know the biggest reason for that, and well, maybe the most interesting reason for that, was your Computex trip, the 2014 Computex. So we got to talk about it.
0: Yes, we do need to talk about that because it's been a while. Not
1: so much that, but now that we had a chance to look back on it, I mean, this was kind of a big Computex, not just because, hey, it's Computex, Mm -hmm. but because there was such a huge
0: focus on overclocking this year. There was. There was going to be four events. Going on during the time. Wow.
1: Well, before we jump into that, Mm -hmm. just in case people
0: haven't been following Computex, tell us a little bit about it. What is Computex and why do you go? Computex is the largest, well, I'm going to say the second largest computer trade show in the world. Uh, It started as a sales show in Taiwan. Let's admit it. uh, Taiwan is where kind of the manufacturing center of the world is, that in China. So they started Computex as a way to pull in foreign investors to invest in their companies and also buy their products and sell them around the world. The show has kind of progressed, and now it's kind of the the pinnacle of where you go to see the latest motherboard that you're going to be able to buy during Christmas time, video cards, memory processors. Companies have started doing a lot of launches during Computex and kind of before and after, so there's a little bit to say about that.
1: Coming from our part of the world, which is west coast of the United States, more mm-hmm. or less, yeah. we're familiar with CES. What's the difference?
0: CES is a consumer electronics show. So we're talking about phones, tablets, computers, you know, started as a computer show as well. But right. Computex is about the components that go into building the computer. So this is going to be everything that I basically review here at Hardware Cytle.
1: Excellent. So with that in mind, you must have seen some stuff that you liked. So talk
0: us through some of the highlights. Well, there was a lot of motherboards. Z97 was kind of the big thing, but that had been announced, um, you know, like a month before the show. So everything that was on display was, we already knew about. Some of the stuff that was coming was X99. During the show, nobody was supposed to know about X99. It was still under NDA, but uh, MSI actually had a board out there that said X99. (laughs) And then EVGA had an X99 board in their booth. But they had to say it was a next-generation chipset.
1: So tell us, what what can we talk about? Is there anything about that motherboard that we can talk about?
0: Well, X99 is basically going to be the the predecessor to the X79, which was the LGA 2011 quad-channel memory monster that I love and will probably not ever get rid of. (laughs) Well, the X99 is going to be the next generation of that, so it'll be a new processor processor. They're saying it's going to be eight cores with hyper-threading. Also is the first motherboard chipset processor that's going to support DDR4 memory.
1: Wow, and it's about time.
0: DDR5 on video cards. We've had that for years. DDR4 was on video cards, I don't know, like, what, 10 years ago, something like
1: that? Seems like it's been forever.
0: Man, it's just, it's a matter of bandwidth. So GPUs can use that bandwidth more readily than a CPU can. We're finally to the point where we're going to have some amazing memory bandwidth, I think.
1: Excellent. Although I kind of wish they'd skip straight
0: to five. Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah. Well, baby yeah. steps I got. Yeah. Right? Well, besides these new motherboards, anything else worth mentioning? Yeah, there was a few video card stuff. I mean, there was no announcement from NVIDIA, which is kind of what we were thinking that might be there. You know, the GTX 780 Ti is still going to be the top of the line GPU. NVIDIA was talking about G-Sync monitors and how they've been pushing to get G-Sync put into just about every, you know, flat panel that you can buy. It's just a chip that goes in there and it interfaces the panel to sync up panel refresh with frame rate out of your games. That will certainly help. Yeah, and of course, ATI is, or AMD in this case, has been pushing to get the standard changed because it's really just kind of a over the wire sort of thing. Well, with G-Sync, you don't have to change the standards.
1: Oh, so AMD is... For it?
0: AMD is for it, but they don't want to see a proprietary piece of silicon put into the panel. They want to see it put into the standard. Well, with NVIDIA putting G-Sync into the monitor, they can do it now. Whereas if you change the standard, that's going to be, you know three or four years for it to get adopted and then another five years for it to actually be implemented. And there's no guarantee that the panel manufacturer is going to be putting that standard in. So yeah,
1: we've seen that with USB and with HDMI standards. hmm. Yeah. The adoption is never as fast as you want it to
0: be. Nope. Even though, you know, the technology is there. AMD is right. NVIDIA is just going to help out the gamers now instead of 10 years down the road.
1: Now you mentioned the overclocking events and there were
0: four, five, I guess. At Computex, Many of the hardware manufacturers, they pull in booth babes to get people to to come and visit, right? Yes, indeed. Well, they also pull in overclockers to act as booth babes, so to speak, kind of show off a little bit of liquid nitrogen and maybe put up some records, you know, just something to talk about, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: You know, Galaxy had some overclockers. Um, Zotac had Nacho overclocking for them, which was, you know, just one person. Right. And Zotac doesn't really have overclocking motherboards, which... You know, it was more of a an attraction, right? But it could be a sign of things to come. True. And we also had G-Skill, which for the past four years or so, they've had the overclocking stage. In the past, they've had a different motherboard manufacturer come on stage and actually do an overclocking show. So one day right. they'll have EVGA and then they'll have Gigabyte and Asus and MSI. Well, this year they had that and also the G-Skill World Cup. Very cool. Which you know, it was supposed to be a play on the uh, the soccer at the time. But there was online qualifiers on Hardware Bot and the people that won a spot had to pay for their way to get to Computex and an then ouch. A little bit of an ouch, yes. If they won a spot, they were basically invited to Taiwan to compete on the stage for a grand prize of dun dun dun. 10 grand.
1: Wow. Now that is impressive. Now I've been following overclocking for a long time, and it just seems like that is a
0: huge prize. That is the largest prize thus far for any individual winning. You know, if you put in the fact that some of these, uh, like the MOA, for instance, they'll pay for your airfare and they'll pay for your hotel. Still, that is prize money. Sure. You may not see it in cash that you can go and buy a car with, but it's still prize money.
1: Yeah, and you take what you can get. I mean, this is you know, still a fairly new sport.
0: Well, with the G-Skill event, they you won a spot and then you paid for your way to Computex and then you could compete. The thing I noticed was that everybody that was overclocking there was also either part of another overclocking event, part of the, not necessarily the media, but they were going to be there anyway, or they were actually part of the G-Skill overclocking stage as well. Like, for instance, Splave, he was the one that won the one who won <laughs> <laughs> the G scale world cup. Well, Congratulations. he was, yeah, congrats. He was also overclocking on the world stage, which, you well, that know,
1: makes sense. If you're going to be over there anyway, then you want to maximize your time and maybe get a little sponsorship money
0: back. And in this case, he got quite a bit of money back, so to speak. Exactly.
1: And that's a huge precedent and something that hopefully we can see continue. So I hope the G scale felt like it was a good
0: investment. Well, the investment, with overclocking events is not necessarily getting overclocking overclockers there and giving them a prize, but also getting the media there to spread the word, so to speak, either do it as a a video or write about it or take a bunch of pictures. g was hoping that the media at Computex would help spread the word, but that has varied degrees of success, I believe.
1: Well, now I know that you had the opportunity to
0: attend some of these events, all of these events. I attended all of them with um, varied degrees of success. The next one I'm going to say that we can talk about is the Intel overclocking challenge. That was kind of an interesting event in that it was invite only for hardware manufacturers or motherboard makers. So like for instance, um, EVGA, g MSI, all the people were there. They had two overclocking teams. One using liquid nitrogen and another using ambient cooling. So either water or air. And the challenge was to get the most points per team with air and water or air water. And then also with liquid nitrogen. So if you could get a good score on the nitrogen side and on the air side, then you could place well and win.
1: Well, now that kind of mirrors the
0: stages or the, or the categories on hardware bot, doesn't it? It does in a in a way. It wasn't necessarily affiliated with Hardware Bot, aside from they were doing the scoreboard.
1: Damn, that makes sense because they're the authority on that sort of stuff these days,
0: right? And on Hardware Bot, in which what, you, what you're talking about is the elite and the the extreme, I believe. Elite and extreme; those are the sub-zero cooling, and then you have the the regular air ambient temperature class, which I forgot the name of it right now.
1: Got to get below ambient. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, they, that was kind of combining those two major classes on hardware bot together and getting the ambient guys to overclock with the nitrogen guys.
1: I like that. I like the concept because not everybody wants to go crazy with the super cooling, but it's nice to see what the hardware can do on your, well, mostly off-the-shelf
0: components. <laughs> and that's the easy way to overclock. They were not doing the easy style overclocking at this um, Intel event. For instance, EVGA, Vince had set up a cold box, so to speak. It was like kind of a cardboard box that was wrapped around the air cooler. And he would pour liquid nitrogen in there and have a high speed fan pulling that through. So it actually lowered the ambient temperature and hopefully get the air cooler to work Clever. more efficiently. Yeah, it's kind of like me hooking the my water loop up to the single stage phase.
1: Which we've done.
0: Which we've done. is actually kind of fun. Gigabyte had a cooler, and then they submersed the ambient system in the cooler and basically filled it up with nitrogen. That was kind of fun to see. I'm not going to say it was very effective, but it was fun to see. Yeah, but it gives you something to look for, right? Something different? Yeah. The one downside of the event, uh, aside from the overclocking, was the fact that they had it in kind of a, a small little nightclub, and... They invited, uh, well, it was very successful, I should say. There was a lot of people there. It was impossible to get around (laughs) because the tables were so close together that one person could fit there. And it was usually like the captain of the teams or Mm -hmm. the one person that wasn't overclocking was on the other side directing the two other overclockers on what to do. So I couldn't get in and take any pictures. There was a couple of guys that got, that were able to sneak in and get some photos and whatnot, but... I didn't want to actually disturb anybody. So I got some really crappy photos. But <laughs> oh, no. And it, it kind of brings up an interesting point in that it was mostly like a press event for Intel instead of an actual real overclocking event. They had overclocking, obviously, but right. it was staged mostly to get Intel in front of everybody to talk about Devil's Canyon and also talk about the Pentium K edition.
1: Oh, I mean it's not any different than hiring models when you release beer, I guess, right? Exactly. You get the the eye candy in the overclockers? That doesn't yeah. sound right, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. It was it was something to draw people in. Mm-hmm. And I wanna say it was very successful. Uh Overclocking T V was doing a live show during that time. Intel had hired some video guys that actually record G Sports. To go around with cameras and actually handle the video input and the broadcast.
1: See, now that is kind of a big deal because that's a big step too. Mm-hmm.
0: They were doing everything correctly. The only thing they missed was the fact that the room was just too small. Well, maybe they
1: weren't expecting such a draw.
0: Well, you would think that if they're going to spend that time and effort, they would do something. But hey. Well, the next event was the HyperX... Overclocking takeover? OC takeover? Oh, the HOT. hot. Hot, so hot. Sizzle, sizzle. We actually saw this event in Las Vegas during CES. It was kind of the prelude to what this new one was, I should say. The Computex event was the launch for the worldwide sort of qualifiers. And it was invite only, so it was pretty much like Splave was there. The Aussie team was there. And I'm going to... Screw up everybody else's name, but <laughs> sorry. But they had a, a good like eight or ten teams there, all overclocking with Devil's Canyon, I believe, all on liquid nitrogen, and it was kind of a sideshow to the HyperX uh, G-Sports that they've been doing.
1: Now this is separate then from the Cup.
0: Yeah, it's kind of separate. Mm-hmm. But you know, they had um, two League of Legends teams that were coming together, actually doing their their game demonstration. I didn't get to go to that because I had to do a gigabyte thing, but I heard that basically there was, I don't know, like 300 people there watching it and a, and it was broadcast. Yeah, that was live streamed, I believe. Yeah, live streamed. It lasted like a half hour at most. And then the overclocking thing lasted five hours.
1: Yeah, but that's a big deal. I mean, people forget how big League of Legends, especially from a tournament standpoint, has gotten around the world. So we're just kind of getting a taste of that still here in the United States. But it's growing.
0: Yeah, it's huge, huge. And I want to say that if overclocking follows suit with what is happening in esports, it'll get equally as big. Although the matches are considerably longer. For instance, the HyperX event was over four hours, I believe. And somebody will probably correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But they were running three different benchmarks and compiling scores and figuring out who was going to be the winner. And they got money. That's good, too. How much money? I want to say it was 3000 to the winner, 2000 to second place, and 1000 for third.
1: Yeah. Well, even if you're just in the right neighborhood, there's still a lot of money going to overclocking at Compudex this year. Yes, yes. Now, I know you had the opportunity to do some live streaming, and we had the live extra. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to kind of follow up on that a little bit and talk to you about that process and how that went. And I know we've talked about a couple of the other ways. Press covered the event. But specifically about how you covered it, did you have any thoughts on that?
0: Let's see. The live extra that I did was at the Hardware Bot OC Gathering that happened after after Computex. It was over the weekend. That was really fun. They basically you could buy us an overclocking spot, and they had ten hundred and twenty liter tanks of liquid nitrogen that you I've could use.
1: Seen the pictures? Wow, check the website on that because yeah. that's
0: something to see. Well, during that time, I wanted to do kind of a live stream, you know, a live podcast recording. But the Maker Bar in Taiwan, which is where the event was, did not have the best acoustics. For instance, where everybody was actually working, it was pretty loud. Uh, They had a conference room off to the side. Now I'm going to try to paint a visual here. Okay. One wall, floor-to-ceiling, heavy glass. So, you know, quarter-inch thick plate glass. There was a nice little door, which was also glass, that kind of freely swung in between the two you know you kind of know the it's like a shower door i sure, guess okay inside that was probably a 12 by 12 foot room uh with probably i would say seven foot ceilings if that all right interesting all, all plastered in drywall it's a little it's square a little and reflective and reflective <laughs> and the floor was hardwood even better even better So uh, needless to say, there was a huge echo, and that was kind of a problem. And if you listen to the live extra, you'll hear the echo in its entirety during the intro when I'm introducing the podcast. After that, it actually got a little bit better because I put a, and you'll have to check the pictures for this, but I put a foam box over top of the Blue Yeti to kind of keep down the echoes. And if you had a person on one side of the box and a person on the other side of the box, you didn't get any echo and it's actually really good. Of course, when I was introducing it, there was only myself. And right. so I had an echo coming back at me from the wall as I was talking through the little box. So clearly
1: some challenges with recording it, but mm-hmm. I'm glad we got a chance to check it out. And you can kind of feel the energy in the podcast, which is
0: kind of neat. Yeah, it was, uh, we had Mass Man on. He was talking about his uh, OC gathering and how impressed he was with that. And I also had Truthman on who is the face of overclocking t v and I'm going to say one of the um uh superstars has been kind of pushing to get more live coverage of overclocking events and help getting that into the forefront
1: absolutely and I know he's had some dramatic improvements in how he's doing things too, and we've talked about that-hm mm-hmm. so that so thats a lot of overclocking for the weekend now you mentioned that you also had a gigabyte special event.
0: Oh, yeah. And I don't want to lose track of that because
1: I get excited about these little things. And before I spoil it for you, what, what did you do with Gigabyte?
0: <laughs> I did a factory tour with Gigabyte. And admittedly, the past, I'd uh, say, four years, well, even before that, they would always get uh, a lot of their media to go out to the factory and kind of see how things were made. Some people think that factory tours are extremely boring. Right. And I don't. I really like them.
1: Well, you've had some fun pictures and behind-the-scenes stuff, too, in the past.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did a DFI tour which is something that nobody's ever done. And it's, you know, once you see one um, SMT manufacturing line, you've kind of seen them all because they all use the same machines for the most part. Well, that makes sense. But uh, Gigabyte was wanting to bring a lot of press towards their black edition motherboards. So they they blew out a wall in their factory to uh, accommodate a large testing Facility, kind of like a data center, so okay. to speak. I, mean, I don't know exactly how many boards were in there, but it's quite a lot. But they had complete systems set up, and they would test them for an entire week, stress test them basically. So process, it hook them up just like you would hook up into your regular computer. They'd have it in this room, and it would be like almost it was like 45 C ambient or 48 C ambient in there, so it's actually pretty warm. Basically, stress testing these new black edition motherboards. If it made it through the stress test, you got an extra two years or extra year on your warranty. I think it goes up to three years, which is unheard of in a motherboard. And you get the extra warranty and the quality assurance that your product is going to last and be good for you. Well, it
1: beats the old inspected by number 12 sticker, right? At least you know somebody spent some time testing it.
0: And I think that's a cool trend. Hopefully, we'll see more of that. All right. Being an enthusiast, I, uh, I'm i a little critical on this. Of course. I see it as I'm buying a used motherboard and paying extra money for it.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Not unlike when you buy team-used equipment out in the real world, <laughs> paintball. <people. laughs> <laughs>
0: right. You know, I upgrade every couple of years. My main system. In, if that long. Yeah, if that long. You know, my last system, I haven't upgraded in a while, so I really need to do that. As an enthusiast, I'm always changing hardware, either on the test bench or on my main system. Sure. So uh, having a warranty for three years or four years doesn't uh, appeal to me because it's going to – I'm going to roll it out before it expires, right? But for people that buy systems, and systems last longer these yes. days, you know, you don't need to buy the latest processor to play the latest games. What? Yeah, I know. Isn't that <laughs> weird? So having a, a board with a longer warranty – proven that it will actually work is kind of a good thing for everybody.
1: Well, and premium components too. So it's not like you're buying a board just for the testing.
0: No. Well,
1: that's exciting. So Computex in general, what would you say was your biggest highlight? What What would you say you wanted to do again?
0: Oh, well, the overclocking events were good. I did like the factory tour. You know, I love going to Computex to meet with all of my manufacturing friends, uh, people in the industry, making new contacts. I want to say, you know, this is my 10th Computex, 10th or 11th, something like that. In the very beginning, it was very traditional trade show. There wasn't a lot to, to draw people in. There was booth babes, obviously. Everything was more compressed because they didn't have the Nongong Exhibition Hall. But it's gotten a little bit more commercial. So you could go to Computex five, six years ago, and on the first day, there would actually be press releases and announcements of new products, stuff launched at the show. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, I don't necessarily have to go to Computex, and I could probably get better coverage in the hardware by not being on the show floor than <laughs> being Finding there. the crowds. Yeah, being there, fighting the crowds, actually going to meet with my contacts, because that might be like on the third day, for instance, right? The show itself, I like. I kind of wish that it went back to the way that it was, where you would have there was an incentive to actually be there. You know, you'd actually get to see the latest and greatest before anybody else did. You got to take pictures of it before anybody else did. Nowadays, it's like press releases compiled and sent out a week before the show, and everybody knows everything, so you don't need to actually be there.
1: But they've replaced that with a lot of things that we really do like, the overclocking events, Mm -hmm. the uh, live
0: gaming. I mean, it's
1: becoming really kind of more like CES.
0: It is. And that, I want to say, is probably a trend that all of the trade shows are going to be following because it's an entertainment value for the people that are there. And
1: it brings the press.
0: And it does. So Computex, stay classy, and hopefully uh, it'll get better.
1: Computex isn't the only thing that's been keeping you busy, though, because I know that you've been working on some overclocking at home as well.
0: Yes, I have. MOA qualifiers for the Americas region was during the month of July. Excellent.
1: And this year you decided to
0: compete, right? I did. There was two classes. There's class A and class B. Class B, like last year, was the cheap chips edition, which we can talk about a little bit more because it's not necessarily cheap. So what does MOA think is a cheap chip? Well, let's see. They were using GTX 750, not the TIE, but the 750, so it was a really low-end video card. And it was the gaming edition, so you get slight overclock. Woo! And they wanted to use the Pentium Anniversary Edition, which got launched with Devil's Canyon. Yes, was that like a ninety-nine dollar chip? We're talking seventy-five or seventy-eight. Holy cow!
1: So all in all, your total purchase, assuming you have everything else you need, could be less than two hundred bucks. Yeah, two hundred bucks. I guess that's a cheap chip.
0: Cheap chip until you figure that you need to bend those chips to make sure that you get a good one because the the range is a lot like on a Haswell. You might get a chip that goes five gigahertz, you might get a chip that goes six gigahertz. I would say first and tenth place is probably five gigahertz versus six gigahertz.
1: Wow, so it really is important to find a good chipset.
0: Yes. Uh that needed to be on a Z eighty seven or a Z ninety seven motherboard. There's a little flexibility there. A little bit. Uh, the Z87 is going to be the cheaper one, and a lot of people have them already if they have a Haswell system. To get the most out of the video card, though, you needed to attach an external VRM, i.e. e-power from EVGA. So hard mods are going to be a- required as well. Oh, even in the cheap chips? Even on cheap chips. Well, they were allowing that because the 750 isn't... Um, You know, it's a budget video card. It's not really designed for overclocking, even though the chip overclocks really, really well. You just have to give it power. So you can solder on a power socket and get a little bit more current to it using the stock VRM. Or you could disable the stock VRM and attach a EVGA e-power to it or hack a VRM off of, you know, a lightning, for (laughs) instance. And then basically solder that on and replace the stock one so that you're feeding it more power. Thing is, the rumor they say, is that you need to use two e-powers. Two? I know, because the e-power is supposed to have like two power circuits on it, or three, so you can power VRAM and the GPU and then the PLL, all off the same VRM. But I guess they're on opposite sides of the card or something. Well, that's certainly interesting. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but... um,
1: I have to ask, does this mean that MSI is planning on putting out some sort of funky enthusiast mid-level lightning?
0: I would actually like to see a 750 as... A Lightning Edition, that would be really, really cool. Although I want to say NVIDIA is probably saying, uh, no, you can't do that.
1: <laughs> Well, it can't be a big market.
0: Well, no. And admittedly, if this is like a $150 card, who's going to spend like $400 on the 750? Oh, that's a very good point.
1: That'll buy us a lot of other, well, interesting hardware.
0: Right. So you factor in that if you want to get the most out of it, you have to bend 750 chips. Mm-hmm. So figure buying three of them, you need to buy as they say, two e-powers, and those are a hundred and something each, not including the fact that you also have to have a uh, EV bot, which, as we've mentioned before, or I've mentioned to you, they are next to impossible to find, although I have one behind you.
1: Yeah, but
0: they're kind of getting to be like gold. When are they going to start making those again? I don't know. Who knows? I hope hope soon. And then uh, the Pentium Edition chips, you need to, you know, at 70-some dollars, you could buy one obviously. Or you could buy five Mm -hmm. and then sell off the crappy ones or whatever. So cheap chips is not necessarily cheap.
1: Yeah, I'm getting that.
0: It's an exercise in binning.
1: If you don't get lucky, wow, you could really throw a lot of money at that too. But not as much as when we were talking Titans and, you know, crazy extreme edition processors. Oh, right, right, right.
0: So it is a different
1: barrier of entry.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, with class A, it's basically a large investment up front well, if you have a lot of money, you can start binning, obviously. You can bin the um, the 4790Ks, which is the new Devil Canyon chip. That's $350, $360 mm-hmm. processor.
1: And not the most expensive processor we've seen.
0: No, not at all. I mean, I bought three LGA 2011 processors for Moa a couple of years ago, and those are 500 bones each. Youch! Yeah. Then you also need to have an R9 video card to complete in Class A. I had a 270X Gaming, which you can't really overclock with. And I used that to test out my Devil's Canyon chip. Later, I got the 290X Lightning. Ooh, the new Lightning. The new Lightning, yes. It's actually a really, really good card. I was amazed at how easy it was to overclock.
1: Your Lightning is kind of
0: a golden sample, wasn't it? Well, I mean, there's better samples out there. But yeah, mine turned out to be really, really good. How good was it? Well, let's see. I did 1525 megahertz in heaven. Nice. The The Unigen Heaven benchmark. Uh, stock on this card is like 1,000, so... That's a
1: big bump, and hey. it'll still fit in my backpack. I mean, uh, <laughs> we'll have to see what <laughs> else it can do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, memory also clocked up to 1650 before I started getting artifacts in, in crashes. The guys that are setting the world records with the the 290Xs are getting you know, 1,600 megahertz, 1,700 megahertz on the core, and then 1,700 megahertz on memory. Very impressive. And that's quality of chips, quality of memory chips, and also quality of the GPU chiller pot, the evaporator. You know, mine are, they're slims. When I bought uh, my GPU uh, chillers, I bought slim ones so that I could do multiple GPUs up to like three or four. So they need to be slim to get them to fit, obviously. Mm -hmm. The problem with the slim ones is that These ones are pretty heavy, so they're kind of slow. They're slow to react, I should say. So I can bring the temperature down, but then the GPU will start heating up, and then it's hard for me to recover. So I'll be running through like the Unigen benchmark at 90C, negative 90C. When I finish, it might be at negative 70C, and I'm pouring nitrogen in the entire time trying to get it to cool down.
1: Now, this is still single card,
0: though. Yeah, single card.
1: And that's uh, Class A? Class A, yes. So you went with Class A this year? I did go with Class A, sorry. Oh, okay. Just making sure I follow it up here.
0: Yeah. How'd you do? I placed sixth out of everybody. I should kind of mention that for the MOA this year, Class A allowed four seats in the Americas region. There was, um, a couple years ago, there was a problem with the Brazilian overclocking team. There was two people going. There was some controversy on like hardware sharing and if they actually um, had the hardware. Sure. So uh, MSI invoked a rule saying one person per country, kind of make it a little bit fair and also remove a lot of the, the doubt, if you will. So they only allowed one person in the U.S. Well, there's a lot of overclockers in the U.S. Right. So this year they divided it in half, basically right down the Dakotas, having Texas in the West Coast Conference and everything east of that in the east coast conference
1: well that sort of makes sense gives at least two seats from the u.s we'll take them right
0: yeah and obviously idaho being in the west coast i had a pretty good chance of getting a spot so that was one reason that i competed in class a was to play the odds so to speak Uh, unfortunately mike cdm was also playing the odds and he lives in texas
1: if we could just move that border over but no, Mike is a powerhouse, and of course, we've talked about him a lot before because he is such a regular mention in all of these competitions.
0: And he is, and he got second this year. He had a monster score in Unigine Heaven, which was one of the deciding benchmarks. 3D Marco 03, I believe he placed second, and he also does really, really well with 2D benchmarking. And also got second.
1: Well, congratulations due there, and nice to see us make a great showing for the United States,
0: mm-hmm. even if it's not for my house. Oh, no. Well, and the fourth place spot went to Gunslinger, and he is in Alabama. So he re- is representing the East Coast Conference. Nice. So that uh, basically edged me out. I was basically the third U.S. overclocker that competed.
1: Hey, but that is really good, especially mm-hmm. considering how badly we felt about the last
0: run. Oh, yeah. That was it Was kind of bad.
1: So this is the qualifiers. Mm-hmm. qualifiers. So what's the next step?
0: The next step... Uh, They have to do a EMA qualifier, which is also over 30 days. And then they also had the APAC qualifier, which is also over 30 days. During this competition, um, Class A started in July, ended on July 31st for the Americas. I believe EMA and APAC happen halfway through July and halfway into August. And then another one starts at the first of August and ends at the end of August. The Class B qualifier happens over the course of two months. So it started the same time that I started, and it ends at the very end of it. So you could still get in? No, I can't. (laughs) Okay. You you can compete in one or the other. Oh, that makes sense. And there was a lot of speculation on some of the uh, high-end overclockers that should have competed in Class A who are holding out to do a Class B run with the cheap chips and the binning and everything. Well, yeah, it's more budget-friendly, so I could see they'd have a maybe a better shot. Yeah, and uh, I've talked to a few of them, and they say, well, Class B is more fun. It's actually, we're really overclocking. We're doing what we used to do five, six years ago instead of just grabbing a lightning and figuring out if it's good.
1: There's a lot less risk because if you blow a card, you're not out hundreds of dollars like, you know,
0: <laughs> last year. <laughs> or. <laughs>
1: 2-3 processors, it's, mm-hmm. it is really at the point where if you really wanted to commit, you could honestly go until they blow.
0: Yeah, exactly. And no harm, no foul at that point. Just unsolder your e-power, solder it on a, to another card and go again. So yeah, the the MOLA I think is it's going to be a really fun competition. I would, I'm looking forward to the finals and seeing who all qualifies and who, you know, the actual competition. The rumor is Overclocking TV is going to be doing a live show and actually doing commentary like what i suggested early on nice so it should actually be a good uh live demonstration a good after and also some good publicity for msi well we look forward to it and congratulations on a solid finish if not moving on yeah thank you and i want to congratulate the four winners of the americas we have two of them from the u.s and i'll be rooting for those guys
1: Terrific. Well, good luck, guys, and we look forward to seeing more on MOA and MSI in the future.
0: For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Join us on Facebook or follow us on Google. This has been an Ninja Lane production, copyright 2014. Thanks for listening.